Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. I was actually preparing for a sermon for Life Together last spring. It was warm outside. It was sunny. Uh, definitely spring because it was sunny. And I was sitting in the quiet of my home because the kids were still at school. And uh, all of a sudden, I heard this huge bang in the house. I mean, it like made me jump off my seat because it was just out of nowhere. I heard this huge bang. And I walked around my house, and I was like, what was that? What hit my house? And we have uh, back patio doors that are glass. And I looked outside the doors, and there's this little bird shaking on the floor, right on the floor, right outside my doors. And this sweet little bird had flown straight into my glass patio doors. And it was still alive, but it wasn't going anywhere. And it's a bird, you know, and I'm like, oh, the poor bird, continue on with life. The Lord dropped in my heart. He was like, I want you to sit with that bird. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I went outside and I sat in the sun next to this sweet little bird that was just trembling because it hit the glass so hard. And um, as I was sitting there, I prayed for the bird. I thought about how, how God watches over the birds and cares for the birds and um, even pet the bird a little bit, brought it some water. We sat there for about 30 minutes together. And we think about the story and I caused this bird suffering this poor little bird was suffering because it flew into my house. And I look at this story of suffering and I think, okay, there's several different approaches to this story. Who am I going to blame for the suffering of this bird? Well, it's the bird's fault because the bird wasn't paying attention to where it was going and flew into the glass. And the bird should have been looking forward when he was flying and not backward talking to its bird friends. Or we could blame the builders of the house for even putting back patio doors with glass on it in the first place. I mean, it's their fault. They put it there. They designed. It, it may have been the architect's fault because they designed the house that way. And so it was the architect's fault that the bird was suffering on my back porch. Or we could perhaps blame our family because if our family hadn't lived in that house, then the bird wouldn't have like been suffering at the hands of my home because my home caused the bird's suffering. This I know for sure. The suffering wasn't caused because the window of the glass was clean and looked see-through. I will admit to that. So it's not my fault. The truth is, is that if my house wasn't there in the first place, the bird wouldn't have flown into it. The bird wouldn't be suffering. And so there is blame to be had, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And I think as society, when it comes to justice, we try and try to set up guidelines to regulate what is right or wrong, what to do, what not to do, to alleviate suffering in our own lives and to, to alleviate suffering in the lives of others, right? That's a sense of justice. And so we set up these rules and laws and, and um, regulations because they're necessary to keep our world from falling into chaotic anarchy. So like in Tennessee, they came up with this law that you can't hold public office if you've been in a duel. Has anyone been in a duel in here? Okay, you all can run for public office in Tennessee. 
In Georgia, you could be charged if you eat chicken with a fork, which honestly, I agree with that. How are you going to eat fried chicken with a fork? I mean, come on. What about finger licking chicken? Totally discounts that thought. In Idaho, now this makes sense. In Idaho, cannibalism is illegal. Except <laughs> in extreme circumstances. And although these silly laws are lighthearted, the topic of justice is something that's incredibly weighty. We can laugh about laws like that, but we don't laugh about laws about murder or kidnap or rape. There are some laws and senses of justice that are very incredibly weighty and harmful. Right and wrong affect each one of us every day, whether it's something that we've done or not done or something that someone has done for us. Justice is the epitome of the heart of God. It's why we have the Bible. It's God trying to create a just world out of the brokenness that we've brought into it from our sin and from our injustice. These last few weeks, we've been talking through Ecclesiastes, and there's a word that's used over and over again by the author. So the writer identifies himself as the teacher, and the teacher is, is talking about all of these wise thoughts, and, but the, the, the point that he makes throughout the whole book is meaningless, that all things are meaningless. But when we look at the Hebrew word, this word for meaningless, in your Bible it might say vanity, uh, it might say folly. But in the Hebrew word, this word is hevel, hevel. And when we look at the definition of this word, it actually means enigma, vapor, or morning mist. Think about the morning mist that hangs over Lake Michigan, and it's there early morning before the sun burns it away. And it's something you can see, and you can actually feel it, and you might even like be able to grab it for a second and affect the mist a little bit. You can manipulate it, but eventually it just dissipates. It's gone. It's not permanent. And the author has told us so far, the teacher has told us so far, that what is hevel in life are things that are important for all humans throughout all of time, through every culture, through every age. Things like wisdom and pleasure and work and legacy and wealth and comfort. It's all hevel. It's all a mist. It's not permanent. And today we're going to sit on the problem of justice. We're going to see what the teacher has to teach us about the problem of justice in our world. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verses 11 through 14 says, I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race, and the strongest warrior doesn't always win his battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy, and those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It's all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. People can never predict when hard times might come, like fish in a net or birds in a trap or in a window. People are caught by sudden tragedy. And the first problem of justice that the teacher addresses is that life isn't fair. You see, throughout the whole book, we've seen that wealth is hevel, it's a mist. We've seen that legacy is hevel, pleasure is hevel, uh, wisdom is hevel, work is hevel, it's a mist. The teacher never says that justice is a mist. 
The teacher talks about justice all throughout the book, but never calls justice Hevel. The thing the teacher identifies as Hevel, as missed, is injustice. Every one of us, and if you've had a kid, anytime you see a baby between the six and nine months of age, the baby's going to hold something and drop it and watch it drop. Our first reaction when we don't know better is to pick up the object and give it back to the baby. Drop it again. There's a cause and reaction. There's something that happens because something instigated it, and it just makes sense. This is a sense of fairness. If this happens, then this will happen. If I do this, then this will happen. And it's, it's just a sense of fairness. So if, you know, some of the ideas that we have is if we act fiscally responsible, then we stay out of debt. We're monetarily comfortable. If we're kind to others, we'll have good friends. If we eat right and exercise, our bodies will be healthy and strong. If we work diligent at what we do, we climb the career ladder. If we drive safe, we arrive safe. If we stay faithful, we have a happy marriage. If we save up for retirement, we have a comfortable way to end our lives. If we obey God, we'll have a perfect life. Boy, wouldn't it be great if all those things actually happened all the time. And yet none of these you're going to argue against, right? Like if I walk around like a jerk with a chip on my shoulder all the time, I'm probably going to have a hard time making friends. But if I'm kind, then I'll probably have good friends. But it's not a rule of thumb that will always happen. We can be fiscally responsible and do everything that we can to manage our money well and to invest. But if the stock market breaks or if our boss embezzles money and we lose our job, that's completely out of our control. It's injustice. It's not fair. It's hevel. The hevel affects our life. According to the teacher, the enigma that we deal with in life is that the fair reaction to our responsible actions don't always get the good outcome that we want to happen. The best and most diligent don't always get to be winners of the medal. In fact, I know that there's some in this room who've probably been laid off this year. Every one of us have either already or will at some point be caught by sudden tragedy. And it's not fair. This is the hevel, the mist of fairness and injustice. It's meaningless. The mist and vapor of our lives can quickly enshroud us in gloom and despair if we sit in the idea that life will be fair and justice will always be fair. When something goes wrong with something that should have been right, our immediate reaction is to look around and say, whose fault is that? Who made that not work anymore? Who broke that? Why did it fall apart? What do I need to do differently? Like if we get to our car in the middle of the parking lot and nobody's around, but there's a huge dent in the side of our door. Hevel, who did that to my car? When a package is stolen from our front porch and we don't know who did it, we come up to the door and find out that it's been stolen. Hevel, it's not fair. You did not earn that. Every one of us has an ingrained understanding of the idea of fairness. No one needs to explain fair to children. I mean, if I have like a little bit of ice cream left in my house and I divvy it out in four bowls for my four children, nobody needs to tell them, look in the bowls and make sure that all of you got an equal portion. <laughs> they will assess those bowls and try to see which one has the most and which one has the least and which one they got. Next time your child or your grandkid or anybody in your life looks at you and says, that's not fair, you look at them and you say, hevel, fairness, it's hevel, it's a mist. 
And here we are, we arrive at our quandary yet again. How do we work our way through the mist? How do we work our way through the hevel? How do we find meaning in the mist of injustice? The problem of justice is that life is not always fair and it's not always predictable. The teacher continues on to tell us another problem of injustice um, in in chapter 8. He says, I have thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun. Where people have the power to hurt each other, I have seen wicked people buried with honor. Yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. This, too, is meaningless, hevel. When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it is safe to do wrong. But when... Uh, but even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear the, fear the Lord will be better off. The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. And this is not all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they are wicked, and wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so hevel. This is so meaningless. And here we come to another problem of justice, is that sometimes the good get punished and the wicked are rewarded. Consequence is hevel. Whether it's good consequences or bad consequences of good behavior and of bad behavior, consequences are hevel. See, people um, are promoting, who are promoting sinful behaviors are celebrated in our society. People who are, promoted, who are promoting sinful behaviors as acceptable and pleasing are, are honored in our culture. And yet those who would promote godliness and righteousness and stand up for truth in, in a godly way are condemned for speaking up for truth. This consequence is hevel. It is unjust. The compromise is called sin. And sin isn't a political problem, it's a human problem. Sin is so easily explained and manipulated to make it sound like it's pleasurable or desirable or okay. Sin is what breaks us. The sin of arrogance and pride and self-righteousness is in us all to build our self-worth. And self-worth is a good thing. But these are sins listed in scripture. Arrogance, pride, and self-righteousness. The sin of lust and greed and idolatry to promote our personal pleasure. Well, if God loved me, doesn't he want me to be happy? The sin of jealousy and rage and selfish ambition to build ourselves more powerful than others. It's the comparison game. Sin is not limited to a party. Sin is the human party. This is hevel. When wicked are rewarded for bad behavior, And righteous are condemned for right behavior. This is a mist, an enigma, a vapor. And the problem of justice here is that consequence is not divvied out the way that we expect it to be. Consequence is hevel. There's another problem with injustice that the teacher wants to tell us about in in chapter 4. He says, again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors had great power and their victims are helpless. So I concluded that the dead are better off than living. But most fortunate of all are those who have not yet been born, for they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. I think we all agree in this room Oppression is not just. We can all agree with that. There's so many people outside of our church walls 
in different religions and different areas of our country and different non-religions who will say oppression is evil. In 2021, over 27.6 million people in this world are trafficked humanity for the labor force. That's not even accounting for people who are placed into forced marriages. One in four of those oppressed like this are children under the age of 18, and 70% of these victims are women. Oppression is hevel. It's unjust. It is not what God designed for our world. Over 1% of our world, there's over 1 million people in this world who are displaced. Man, I read that stat, and as, as a mom, I just couldn't imagine raising my kids in a displaced society. It's hevel. Oppression is hevel. The vulnerable are oppressed as those with more security use their power for personal gain and personal resource and keep resources from others. People are kept from resources that will improve their quality of life. The powerful seek more and more. We see this in the news all day, every day. I mean, Ukraine and Russia, for example, one of them, right? Humanistic ever efforts for justice for the oppressed shouts its compassionate heart loudly, but it's missing a key ingredient. Humanism is the effort to promote the idea that every human is intrinsically good. And if we're good enough and if we're kind enough, then we can actually help other humans and create this healthy society where everything is just and the oppressed are set free. And that's the humanistic work of justice. I've met people like that who are making incredible leaps and bounds in bringing help to people who need help with compassion. But the problem of, of this approach to bringing justice in our unjust world is that humanity's trusting in its own broken sense of goodness instead of in the divine nature. We've forgotten that we desperately need God. We don't just want him. We don't just live for him. We desperately, desperately need our good God to come in with his only sense of true justice to make all things right. Humanity tries to counterfeit the original system of justice that, that's been established by our good God because most good-hearted people in this world want to see change, want to see the oppressed free, want to see kindness and decency and equity, but sin comes in so quickly to twist it and to bring power to the powerless, and then they use their power to stay powerful. Tim Mackey is a theologian from the Bible Project. Anybody, has anybody seen the Bible Project? Google it, it's great. If you want to learn more about the Bible, this is great. So Tim Mackey's a theologian who explains a lot of things about the Bible. And he points out that throughout all of time, as people search for freedom from oppression, he says, when those who are oppressed gain power, they become oppressors. When the push down get up, they push the oppressors down and therefore oppress others. We see this in the cycles of slavery throughout every civilization through all of time. We see this in conquering rises and falls of kingdoms. We see this all through time in every society. There's an author, uh, George Orwell, which most of us probably read his book in high school at some time, Animal Farm. He said, as the animals are trying to keep, create this utopian society where, where they all get along and they all have equal power, he says, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. And this is the hevel of injustice. 
And so here's, here's the question, is where is the meaning in this hevel of injustice? Where is the meaning in the mist of injustice? We find this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 17. The teacher tells us, I said to myself, in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. Godly justice is the meaning of the mist, and it's the unshakable solidity that we can stand on when injustice swirls around us and sweeps us off our feet. There's, um, there's a professor at Biola University. His name is Thaddeus J. Williams. And he separates social justice into two categories, social justice A and social justice B. Because I think as Christians, we get hung up on this idea of social justice, that there's an agenda attached to it in a lot of ways that don't line up with our thoughts with the Bible. And, and uh, Thaddeus Williams explains God created social justice. Social means we get along with others in a just way. The problem is, is when humanism comes in and twists it and takes it to a different extreme that is ungodly, that it becomes, uh, it becomes unjust. And so I just want to take a few minutes tonight so we can separate these two ideas of social justice A, which is a godly sense of justice that God wants to see established in our world, and a social justice B, which is a humanistic sense of justice that doesn't bring freedom from oppression, that brings further disruption and further injustness. Uh, William, Thaddeus Williams says this. He says, we aren't commanded to merely execute justice, but to truly execute justice. That presupposes that there are untrue ways to execute justice, ways of trying to make the world a better place that aren't in sync with reality and end up unleashing more havoc in the universe. The God who commands us to seek justice is the same God who commands us to test everything and hold fast to what is good. And here we find that there is a right and there is a wrong, that God is the righteous judge over the good and the bad. Justice um, in social justice A, godly justice, is based on imago Dei, which means the image of God. When God created humanity, he create, created all of humanity in his image. Now, there are some humans in this world who aren't following God who are far from their creator, and there are some people in this world who are close to God, who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they're still in the image of God. I know it's hard to swallow this idea because, um, like, all across the world, there's lots of different cultures, there's lots of different religions, there's lots of different values, and it sounds arrogant to say there's one right path through all of that to get to a just God. But the creator gets to define the boundaries of what is right and what is wrong. I don't know who created chess, but it's a really old game. It was actually created like a couple hundred years after Jesus went, went to heaven. Now, the creator of the chess game gets to determine how chess is played. That makes sense. But if I come along and I'm like, eh, I don't really want to play chess that way. Like, I don't agree with the way that chess is played that way. Well, I have my opinion, but it doesn't give me the right to change the game. Only the creator of the game gets to set the rules. God is the creator of 
all the laws in the universe. God is the creator of righteousness. God is the creator, and he created each one of us in his image. And God loves you. He loves me. He's not a tyrant. He's not oppressive. He wants us to walk in freedom and truth and life. And the only way to do that is to do it God's way. He is your creator. He created the parameters of your life. He created the laws of this world. And we have no right to stand before our creator and say that he's wrong, to say that his way doesn't work for us. God gets to set the rule of the game because he's creator. And as just individuals, as image bearers of God, to find justice, we need to stay in the image of God. We need to stay in the truth of God. The other way is justice based on society because society is constantly changing. Whereas God never changes, the image of God is to never change. Society is always changing its values, its powers, its politics, all of the things, and it will never stop changing. So if we want to base justice on something solid in the hevel, we will base it on the image of God and what he says is right and wrong. Also, the problem of justice, the way that we fix this, what we stand on, is that there's perspective. We need to be flexible to what the Lord wants us to see. In social justice A, God's way, is that justice is based on discernment versus the ungodly way is that justice is based on what we see. Humanism will respond to what is seen. The Lord discerns what is going on. He sees the heart he, saw, he sees the sin that causes the root of the behavior that causes injustice in the first place and calls us to repentance so he can change us from the inside out. We have to change our perception. 80 to 85% of what we see with our eyes affect the way that we learn, affect the way that we interact with our society. It affects the understanding of what we know. It affects the way that we perceive life. 80 to 85% of our senses is taken by what we see. And as God's people, if we want to stand on the justice of God, we need to have a discerning heart when it comes to justice. Not to base it on what we see alone, but to say, Lord, change my perception. Help me to discern what you see because I can't see it. You know, like, uh, so I don't know if you have a basement like this, but if you have a basement and you have children then if my house is messy and there's someone come on over, our first response is, quick, throw it down the stairs. We'll clean it later. Close the door. Anybody? No? Okay, just me. Um, so after a while, the basement is trash, and I say, okay, kids, you need to go clean the basement. So they're down there for like two minutes, and then they come upstairs. They're like, okay, Mom, we're done. And I open the door, and I look down the stairs, and the floor is beautiful, so clean. There's nothing on the stairs. Every Lego is picked up and put away. I see the things down there at the bottom of the stairs, and it looks so nice. What I see tells me they clean the basement. However, if I discern, I should go down the stairs and double check on that. And I walk down the stairs, and I see the rest of the room. My perception has totally changed because the rest of it is trashed. And I'm telling you, if we talk to the Lord and we say, Lord, give me discernment to see what you see, to work for the things that are important to you, to strive for the things that are important to you, 
I think every justice seeker in our world is not seeking the harm of others. It's the question of how do we approach justice that drives us apart? And we need to approach justice the way that God sees justice in order for justice to prevail. In justice, there's also a proper response. See, justice, social justice A, God's way, justice is based on response. Social justice B in, so, in society is um, justice is based on a fight for personal right and personal gain. Since God is our righteous judge who will in due season make all this mist of just, injustice dissipate, he will judge the good and the bad. He is the one who will bring that justice to an end. And we get to take part in bringing God's justice to the world. It's not a political agenda or just something that we should do. God wants us to be involved in this. Sometimes justice gets really messy. It makes people fight. And it gets really uncomfortable over coffee when you start talking about opposing views to stuff and you disagree about things. But God doesn't just ask us to be a part of the justice conversation. God doesn't just like, oh, you should do this. It's a nice thing. God tells us, he commands us to take part in justice in the world. In Jeremiah 22, verse 3, God says, this is what the Lord says, be fair-minded and just. Do what is right. Help those who have been robbed. Rescue them from their oppressors. Quit your evil deeds. Do not mistreat foreigners, orphans, and widows. Stop murdering the innocent. Again, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the, the word says, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. He requires of us. Do what is right. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. We respond to this by praying, and we've already talked about that. Lord, what is your perspective Give me your perception of what's going on. Help me to discern what's going on here in things that I cannot see. Help me to know. We ask, we ask him to help us, and we ask him to break down the institutions that's causing injustice. We ask him to uproot sin that causes the harm in our society. We respond through prayer, and we also respond through giving. There's times that we can't personally, physically be involved in things. We've got other responsibilities or other things going on, and we can't personally, physically be there, but you can support someone who is there. You can be a part of it by giving. Um, I'm so excited about our uh, annual church business meeting, and two Sundays from now we're going to have it, because we always go through our, our um, giving for the year and how we've given that out. I mean, there's institutions that's been built around the world. We've supported missionaries. We've supported activities in Milwaukee, and it's always fun to rejoice and be like, we did that. We gave for that, and look how the Lord used it to bring justice to the world, to bring Jesus to this world. And then finally, we can respond by asking ourselves, how can I be a part of this solution? It's easy to point the finger and say, who caused that bird to suffer? Who caused that bird suffering? Instead of saying, what can I do to fix this? How can I alleviate suffering? How can I cause justice to prevail? How can, how can I make this right? How can I bring Jesus into this situation? It's time for us to be a part of the conversation and not be scared to step on toes or ostracize or hurt feelings there's people in this world who need you to be active. God needs you to bear the Holy Spirit in your life and to step out in boldness and to be a part of the work that God is doing. I want to close with a story from, uh, from Genesis chapter 4. 
And God made the world, and Adam and Eve sinned, and they were kicked out of the garden. And in time, they had two babies. They had a son named Cain, and they had a son named Abel. And they were both, you know, they, they both had their own work. Abel was a shepherd, and Cain raised crops, and he was really good at it. The time came to give God a sacrifice, the right judge a sacrifice. And Cain brought the best of his crops. He said, Lord, here's my crops. And Abel brought the best of his flock. And God was pleased with Abel because Abel approached God in the way that God prescribed him to be approached. Abel stayed in the boundaries of what his creator said was right. And God rejected Cain's sacrifice. And Cain was confused and hurt. And he was jealous of Abel. He said, God, why didn't you accept my sacrifice? And God said, be careful. Sin is in your heart. It's going to take over you. Cain murdered his brother of jealousy and rage and went on with his life. And God approached Cain and he said, where's your brother Abel? And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, listen, I hear his blood cry out from the spilled ground that it's on. How could you do this? Abel's name is the first time that we see the word hevel in scripture. The Hebrew word for Abel is hevel, morning mist. And I find it ironic that the very first act of injustice that happened in our world was marked by hevel, was marked by mist. That encourages me tonight because God sees the blood that is spilt. God sees the shame God sees the brokenness. God sees the hidden. God sees the oppressors. God sees the oppressed. And God knows. And God is just. And at the end of the day, God will judge both the good and the bad. And I know there's some of us in this room who've experienced injustice. And you keep waiting and waiting and doing and doing anything that you can to gain justice in your situation. If it's a broken relationship, if it's trauma from the past, someone who's oppressed you, maybe you've oppressed somebody else. God is a just God. God is good, and God doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. God sees the pain. He sees the brokenness, and he hasn't forgotten you. He's your healer, and he loves you. And God is the God who makes things good. You can trust him. God is your righteous judge. I just want to pray over you real quick tonight. Father, I love you. I love you, Lord. Thank you that in the midst of our unjust world, that, Lord, you are faithful, that you define good and evil. And, Lord, we want to be a people who pursue you We want to know your heart. We want to be a part of the conversation. We want to walk in boldness of your Holy Spirit to bring freedom in this unjust world. We want to be a part of the conversation to bring freedom to those who are oppressed and those who are hurting and those who are broken. We want to be a part of your plan for this world and for all of eternity, Lord God. Thank you that the things that we do are not in vain. You see it. You see the secret good that we do and And you celebrate that, Lord, and you're going to judge us someday for that. And, Lord, you also see the bad. You see the oppression that we put on others, and you call us to repentance. You love us enough to 
to call us out on the things that we've spilt on the ground. And thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you wash us clean from every sin, from every stain, and you set us free that we are no longer oppressed and bound by the chains of sin, but we can have freedom in Christ. Lord, I pray for my brother or sister in this room who's struggling with this idea of unjust things being happened to them. Father, I pray for your freedom at work in their heart. Lord, I pray for your healing to be at work in their mind and in their body. God, we see how trauma can affect the physical makeup of our bodies and our brains. And Lord, I pray that you would bring physical healing to my brother and sister, that you would rewire the experiences, Lord, that you would bring freedom from that oppression, that they would walk in the freedom of Christ, that they would walk in the power of God, knowing that they are image bearers of the living God. Lord, we love you so much. We love you. Lord, bless my brothers and sisters tonight. I pray that they would walk in your freedom and walk in your purpose. Shape our perspective, God. Help us to see what you see. Help us to be your people at work in this world. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.